Welcome to another edition of PerchCast. We had a special show coming to you today. Uh, this is going to be our basketball preview edition. We have one of the top three UNCW beat writers of all time from the Star News, Brian Mull, and uh, UNCW superfan Michael Barnes joining me, Brant Wilkerson, new for the show. How's it going, guys? Yeah, going well. Good to be here. Nice to talk to hoops, always. Thanks for having me. I'm definitely in the top three UNCW super fans as well. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the the race is down to you and Ian for that one. Uh, and I give it to you by virtue of uh, beverages consumed overall. And then maybe number three, Mary Seahawk hands. Oh, she's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, oh, yeah. That's, uh, she, she's the greatest of all time. May she rest <laughs> in peace, maybe. I don't know what became of her. It's been a while, but uh, hopefully she is well wherever she is. All right. Well, let's just dive right into it, guys. We uh, are about one week away from the start of the season. UNCW will be playing an exhibition game Thursday night against Francis Marion. Uh, Maul, you have been to several practices. You've gotten to know a little bit about this team, and you probably have a more institutional knowledge on, on the program than anyone. Just what's been your impression? Question of this roster from what you've seen? Um, well, I have not been to a practice, uh, but I have had some conversations with some who have, and uh, I think there's an upgrade in athleticism and length on the wings, and obviously just uh, sheer numbers, depth, which is very important. I asked uh, Siddle about his depth on CAA Media Day, and he said he felt comfortable with it, you know, certainly trying to earn trust in some guys that are going to be a little bit deeper down the bench, but at least his core guys and a little bit more size. Um, still not a tremendous amount of size in the front court uh, relative to, to some teams, but uh, I think uh, enough to play this style effectively and keep teams away from the basket. Mike, what's, what's your impression as you take a look at this roster? Uh, much, much different with 10 new faces. Yeah, no doubt. A lot of new faces, but that's also kind of, you know, the new norm here. I was going to say post COVID, but I guess we're not quite that far yet, but at least post last year, which was just devastated by COVID, certainly for UNCW. Um, quite frankly, it's been a trend the last few years, you know, even going back before Takeo took over where there was just been so much roster turnover. Those of course, you know, maybe different reasons in previous years, but, um, you know, hopefully this is a year where that depth stays in place. You know, we've gone into years past where we thought there was going to be depth, but then within a matter of weeks, whether it was injuries or transfers or whatever, that depth was gone. You know, even last year, I think we had a basketball manager suiting up for a couple of games. So uh, hopefully everyone stays healthy and everyone buys into the program. And then this is the true, you know, building block, building base for, you know, Takeo's program here going forward. Mull, you know, going back last year, Takeo Siddle comes in. He is a guy who is kind of known around the program from his time with Kevin Keats. He does not get an off season. He's got a roster that he really did not put together. Um, you know, just looking back on last year, how much stock should people really be putting into last year's results uh, given all the circumstances? Uh, little, if any, uh, I think that's not only the case at UNCW, but really across the country. I've, uh, in doing analysis and 
and previews, I've put less stock in last season because everybody's challenges and everybody's path was so different. Um, you know, these coaches are creatures of habit. They, they run their program a certain way or they have an idea of how they want to and not being able to practice, not being able to have workouts, not being able to know from day to day how many guys you were going to have on the court because of quarantine issues and then having these crazy, you know, unprecedented delays between games, teams going on pause at the last minute. I mean, when you look back at where Siddle had the team going into the conference, I think everybody was encouraged and he had had some continuity. They had avoided having any pauses at that, you know, up to that point. And you could kind of see something building and they were playing with a lot of confidence and a lot of energy and uh, as close to the style as they could. But I think, you know, then they go up to Drexel and the game gets canceled and, and the rest of the, the season just went down the down the tubes for reasons that, uh, you know, they couldn't control. So I, I put none, you know, even at the top level, the teams that were successful. I mean, if you look at the championship game in the CAA last year, Drexel and Elon were the only two teams that hadn't been on pause in the last month or whatever. And so they had a tremendous advantage. And um, so I, I think it's just a, kind of a clean slate for everybody. Yeah, that's my. I thought I know, you know, last year early on, I got pretty excited about the way things were going. Um, I thought the most important thing last year is that UNCW seemed to be developing an identity again, which is something that's been missing since the Keats era. Um, you know, uh, when CB McGrath was here, heck of a nice guy. But I looked at that program and you look at the teams and you're like, what do they do? What are, what are they playing? Like, what, what offense are they running? What are they trying to accomplish out here? And I feel like, you know, we never saw that under C.P. McGrath with what he wanted to do. And, you know, if indeed he was trying to run the kind of Roy Williams big man system, I just don't think that works at this level because there's not enough skilled big men to make that happen at this level. So, you know, I was really excited to see that start developing with pushing the ball, uh, keeping turnovers down, shooting a lot of threes, all that kind of thing. But, you know, like you said, there were over 50 days lost for UNCW down the stretch. Um, one win in the final three months of the season, which kind of puts a bad taste in everyone's mouth. But yeah, I, I'm in the same boat as far as um, I would not say that last year was a Takeo Siddle basketball team. Um, that was a collection of guys that that just didn't really fit together well. And obviously we saw, you know, what that resulted in the personnel changes that um, I think people were probably a little bit upset by some of that or you know, didn't know what to think of all of that movement, but that's just something we're going to have to get used to in college basketball. Yeah, yeah for sure. Go, go ahead, Michael. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, not to be the, the roster or turnover guy, but again, I think to establish that identity, you've got to have you know, that core group of guys that buys in and, and is, you know, there from year to year. And so, you know, Takeo talks about those core four that did stay and, and carry over from last year. And, you know, that's something different that he didn't have last year. I think the schedule sets up pretty nice in the non-conference where it's going to give the team a lot of opportunity to start building that identity. And hopefully this season, as opposed to last when the conference slate comes around, you know, they're just hitting the ground running. Yeah, independent of the results and everything, is there anything that you guys did see from those four players that are coming back that, that bodes well for the future of this team and this program? Well, I mean, all four of those guys should be key contributors to this team. So, so first and foremost, you know, that's important. But then you look at uh, 
yeah, Kari has been here a long time and he's kind of seen it all and been through thick and thin and, and his, his growth through that and, and the ability to be a leader, I think is ex- extremely important. Um, uh, he's a guy who's, who's had great games in the CAA and kind of knows what it's like to go through the wars. And then I think, you know, we all saw the potential from Phillips a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, he's a guy that would have been pretty coveted on the transfer market at any point had he decided to leave. And the fact that he stayed not only after a, a coaching change, but, um, you know, is, is still here. I think that really bodes well uh, that he could be here long term and, and at the most important position on the basketball court. And not to mention a car or two. Also, I got some time in the offseason there with the Nigerian national team, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, you know, getting to play some competitive games when not a lot of others, others were this offseason. So coming back with some more experience, going to not have to play the point hopefully this season. A little free to make a little bit more moves down, uh, you know, by the rim. And so I think we'll see the benefit of that for him as well. Yeah, without yeah, question. Yeah, and I think that was – oh, go ahead, Brian. No, just without question. I mean, he he played the point surely out of necessity, but I never looked truly comfortable. And, you know, he's wired to score and attack the basket. And uh, Phillips is wired to to distribute the ball and, and get into the lane and create havoc on the defensive end. And I, I think that's, you know, when you look at those two on the perimeter and look at the struggles the team had last year defensively, I think you could see a major upgrade there with Phillips and Akaro out on the perimeter. Uh, causing trouble for the other team's ball handlers. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm in full agreement there. Mike Akaru, um, you know, he struggled early on with what he was being asked to do because he never had to do it. And uh, <laughs> tossing a guy into playing point guard at the Division One level is not something that happens overnight. But uh, by the end of it, you know, he was playing really well. His turnovers were down. His shooting numbers had gone up. He was putting up some big numbers. And more importantly, he was he seemed to be getting guys in the right place. So that was huge. But, uh, yeah, talking with him and, and talking with Coach Siddle the other day about, um, you know, what he expects this year is Okara is going to be on the wing this season, which is where he <laughs> which was where he belongs. And in, in that, he's going to be so much better at being able to get to the boards to rebound, which is something this team absolutely has to get out of him. And he's going to be a, a perimeter defender that they can count on. And, you know, <laughs> last year he couldn't guard the perimeter because he's having to worry about, you know, I got to get 25 points for this team to even have a chance to win. And you're expending so much energy doing that. So... <laughs> You know, J- Jalen Sims is, is an interesting guy that um, leading the nation in scoring for the first couple of weeks of the season last year um, before going down with a knee injury. Um, I think it was a knee injury. It was a lower leg injury. But he's back to full strength. Um, you know, what do you expect to see out of Jalen Sims this year? Do you expect him to be a kind of guy that could lead the league in scoring? Or is this offense just not really built for a consistent score of that nature? Uh I don't see him as a guy that's going to lead the league in scoring. I think it's going to be more balanced if UNCW is successful, where they have three or probably four guys that are in double figures um, every night. I mean, if you look back at Keats's second, his last team, I mean, they had five guys on the every night that could get double figures with a sixth coming off the bench who could put up 10 in about four minutes some nights as well. So I think that's kind of the ideal um, template. Uh, for this type of attack. I think Sims is a guy that just needs to 
have a steady year, play with confidence and hit shots. You know, he can make shots. He has the size to score inside over smaller wing players. And, uh, you know, I think if he could just be consistent, he, he's been a little streaky through his career. And, uh, you know, I know CB used to talk about, you know, his confidence would, would wane in those downward spirals. Uh, of, and he just, I think, for UNCW to be good as one of the upperclassmen, he just needs to be a steady presence and and contribute in, in ways even when he's not making making shots. But um, I, I think he's a talented player for sure. And I, I, his best basketball could very well be ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd second that, Maul. I don't know how much more I can add to that. But I think for sure this year, again, an ideal situation. Uh, you know, of course, we know Takeo's going to want to play a, a fast-paced uh, game, both on the offensive and the defensive sides. Uh, that generally, you know, results in a little bit more fatigue on the players. So having that depth that we talked about before, you know, having the ability to sub guys in, having that trust uh, down the, that bench is going to be key. Uh, and i you know, optimistic that that can happen this year. Yeah, and as we talk about how balanced that system is supposed to be and the tempo and the pace and those things, uh, Mole, how would you kind of explain this offense in, or I guess it's not just an offense, but a, a system. How would you, if you were explaining this to a basketball newbie, how would you explain what, what this program is going to be trying to do under Siddle when they get up and running and have all the guys out there that they want? Well, on defense, it's all about making the other team uncomfortable. And whether they're that's applying full court pressure or half court pressure, uh, it, it, the system seems to me to be predicated on forcing guys to, to handle the ball in spots where they're not comfortable doing it, whether it's a big guy 40 feet away from the basket or or getting a guard trapped um, as they they do so well at times between the sideline and the half court line um, and just creating turnovers and scoring points in a, in a flurry. And on the offensive end, it, it's a lot of uh, freedom and, uh, you know, hopefully creating some points in transition, but then in more of a, a structured half court, uh, you know, it's pretty simple basketball. Uh, a lot of just creating situations to get a mismatch where a player can use his ability to either drive to the basket or, or hit an open shot. And um, he, you know, I think Siddle, much like Keats gives his players a lot of freedom on the offensive end if they'll play hard and, and give them what he, you know, give him what he expects on the defensive end. So uh, from that standpoint, uh, I can see where it's appealing to players. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's why I was, and, and, you know, I was a guy who thought that Rob Burke, you know, could have been the guy back then, but um, you know, I, I love Takeo Siddle's uh, views on how to play the game coming from, Kevin Keats system and, you know, spread out the floor, ball screens, pick and roll with your big guys, utilize your speed, keep four guys, four guards on the court as much as you can. So, you know, I think this is the future of basketball and it's really important to play this way. If you want to be a mid-major program and, and do well, um, you got to have an identity and, and that identity is back and we're moving in that right direction. Um, you know, a guy that I think, is going to really benefit from this system is James Baker. Um, what's your impression of James Baker from his time at Moorhead State and, and how he's going to fit into this? Uh, he could be the most important player on the roster. 
because I think at his best, what he brings is a level of toughness that was totally missing last year in the paint and some physicality. But he's not going to be locked to the paint either. He's a guy who who fits in that he can get out on the perimeter. You can put him out on the front of the press or use him in a lot of different ways. If he, you know, they're going to probably switch pretty much everything or at least positions one through four. So he can, he's capable of doing that without any issues whatsoever. And, you know, he's not afraid to rebound based on his career at Moorhead State. I mean, he was playing alongside a, a mid-major All-American in Johnny Broom and uh, still was able to be productive there. Not a high-volume shooter, but I don't think he has to be. Again, like we were talking about, I think this offense works best when it's balanced. And I think his value will will come in, in many ways that we can see on the floor, but also – uh, from all accounts, you know, he has some pretty natural leadership qualities and, uh, you know, he's been there. He's been on a team that's qualified for the NCAA tournament. And I would imagine that garners him a measure of respect in the, in the locker room. I was super impressed when I got to sit down with him at media day. He's, um, you know, you, you see the roster, you see he's a big guy, but man, when you get up close, that's, that's a big dude. That's a grown man. And, um, I don't think that um, that's something that we had on the roster last year in terms of post players. And um, yeah, I, I think he's going to be a guy that, that is the glue on this team. I, I, I absolutely do think that he's going to be the most important player on this team because like you said, he's a winner. He's been there. Um, he knows what it takes to win college basketball games at this level. And um, I, it seems that he has really, um, really grown into that leadership role by uh, his cooking, which is a, a big deal so far. Apparently, he likes to cook for the guys and has people over, and um, that's it's really cool to see a guy come in and just take that leadership role on. But yeah, I think he's going to be a guy who's uh, getting rebounds. He just happens to be in the right spot all the time. And, and gets buckets because of it. Cause this, this offense really does reward you if you're doing the right things and you're defending and playing hard. I mean, yeah, not to bring up a sore subject to UNCW fans, but uh, he may just be a little taller, more athletic version of Pridgen, you know, and um, can, can fill that void and then some, and certainly we saw that at times from Pridgen last year, but then we also saw other times when he was a little overmatched because he was only six, four and a half or six foot five and Baker's, bigger and um so uh yeah i think his value is immense to this team and i think people get enamored with height when talking about post players sometimes and like i think any coach at the end of the day would rather have a six seven guy that could really play and fix his system than a six ten guy who's just six ten and um you know speed speed and speed and skill have been uh kind of uh outracing size for years in basketball and it's just going to continue going that way i think you know there was a uh, six seven guy that played hard that was pretty good came through here recently might be playing in the league i'm, I'm not sure yeah exactly <laughs> one of the best post players to ever uh, suited up in the caa so you know i i think an interesting talking point that we kind of touched on there is um, that James Baker is a winner. He's a guy that's been in the NCAA tournament. He's won a conference title. Um, and that's something that is really common with these guys. Uh, you know, Jalen Forns comes in after uh, winning a conference title. Uh, Alec Oglesby comes in after playing in the NCAA tournament with Cleveland State. 
Jamari Thomas, a freshman coming in after winning a state championship. Uh, do you think it's important? Do you guys think that's important that, that people come from winning tradition? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, no doubt. Um, it, it's kind of, you know, a little personal story here. I, you know, I love sports and athletics, but I just don't have that, you know, competitive instinct when it comes down to it. And that's the reason why, you know, I'm just kind of there enjoying the game and having a good time. Um, but the opposite of that is the reason why these guys win championships, because it, it is that much closer to a matter of like life and death for some of these guys. Like it just pains them so much uh, to lose a game, lose a matchup, lose a, uh, you know, whatever it is. So yeah, bringing in that winning mentality, I think is huge because it, it just hasn't been here uh, the past few years. And, you know, as much as maybe coaches or players might not admit it, you know, some of those seasons when hope's pretty much all lost and the only hope you have is maybe you can win four games in the conference tournament. You know, if you can get this season off on the right foot through the non-conference and carry that into the, the conference, you know, this could be that, that turnaround season that really sets this program going back right in, in the right direction. Yeah, that, that's no doubt. Well said. Uh, it only takes one season uh, and a season is built up of, of little stretches, you know, of, of weeks uh, uh, that, you know, you have kind of a burst of games early and then you learn a lot about your team and kind of reset maybe some things or, or tweak some things heading into the holidays. And then by the time January rolls around, it seems like two months go in a blur and then you're, you're at, at the conference tournament. So uh having guys that do the right thing that know what it takes at a championship level day to day, whether you lost at the buzzer or whether you just beat somebody by 30 points that you just have to have to show up and put your hard hat on and, and get back to work and try to get a little bit better each day. Uh, you know, that's, uh, that's something that comes with mature, successful players. And, um, uh, you know, they've, they've all experienced it at the highest level and, you know, in college basketball to play in the NCAA tournament. I'm curious, you know, you've been around the program for a while, Brian, who was the, the greatest competitor that you got to cover coming through the UNCW program? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a great question. Um, I would say TJ Carter would be near the top of that list. Uh, TJ was the nicest, gentlest fella off the court and talked to. And, um, and then uh, any type of drill when I would watch them in practice or, or certainly in games, we saw the great moments he had. He, he just had a, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a very expressive way, but inside you could just feel the, if you got near him, you could feel the fire burning um, that he, he wanted to win. And, uh, you know, certainly a lot of those guys that Keats recruited um, Denzel Ingram would be another guy that comes to mind is uh, just really would do whatever it takes, you know, uh, and showed that on the court, whether it was making the, the, the great assist or coming up with a big steal or the dagger threes he hit in many, many instances, uh, just hated to lose almost more than he enjoyed to win, if you will, <laughs> enjoyed winning. And, um, and that's, you know, that you got to have guys like that uh, to, to build a championship program. See, I, I'd remember yeah, thinking about that. Go, go ahead, go ahead, Mike. I was, I'll, I'll <laughs> oh, no, I, I was quick. thinking. 
I'll add real quick, John Goldsberry. I've definitely yep. seen him in some of those games at Trask go flying like over the scorer's table, just trying to save a ball from going out of bounds. And it's, it's that kind of mentality and grit that really does, you know, cliche, it doesn't show up on the box score, but uh, it really does add up, you know, after 40 minutes. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. With uh, Goldsberry, he was a guy that, man, watching him and uh, Jose Juan Barea go at it three times that that one season, uh, 2006, was, I mean, that w- they were out there having fist fights on the basketball court and there just happened to be a basketball involved. And, um, you know, I remember one specific game that year where Delaware had a late lead at UNCW and and I just felt like I was like there's no way they're losing Goldsberry ends up scoring like every bucket down the stretch he keeps on getting steals in the open court and just he willed that team to victory that night and um, I'm interested to see Jamari Thomas if he if he has that kind of fire Um, every indication that I watched of him in high school he's a guy that um, and I mentioned this to him on media day when we were talking is I'm not sure his exact basketball game is like uh, uh, Russell Westbrook, but he plays like Russell Westbrook in that he is out there to steal your soul and destroy you as a human being (laughs) rather than just win a basketball game. And um, uh, it's fun to watch when you see a guy with that much passion playing incredibly hard. And and you can only hope to uh, that our other guys around him are going to feed off of that and, and, I think he is a guy that's going to be a key piece of this program moving forward. Uh, for sure. Uh, what a, um, you know, I think there's the beauty of it is they need him to play this year, but uh, they're not really relying on him. Um, you know, he can come along at his own speed and learn from some more experienced guys around him. And then, uh, you know, looking down the road, there will be a more opportunity for him in the immediate future and he'll have every opportunity to have a great career here. And it, it just, uh, to get a player like that from in state is always important. Um, it's recruiting in North Carolina has probably never been more competitive when you look at the health of programs, like, uh, certainly, you know, the historically strong programs, but, uh, you know, the way Greensboro's come on in recent years and, Elon uh, now trending upward, and Campbell uh, probably has one of its best teams, uh, returning basically everybody from a team that, that lost in the Big South. Final. You know, so there's a lot of competition for the good players in North Carolina, and I think Siddle's done a great job recruiting the state uh, already in his career. And uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting world going forward because with the with the transfer portal. You know, sometimes we forget about the high school guys, but you, but you need both, you know, <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, you, you've got to kind of have a, some type of balance, whatever fits your plan. But it um, seems like, man, what a bad rough year or so to be coming out of high school. And probably a lot of guys went under recruited uh, because of it. And that, I mean, that might, it's not might, it's going to continue to carry over for a few more years after this extra COVID year because rosters are still going to be a little bit bloated and um, you know, that transfer rule is still going to be there where kids can move a little bit more freely than they used to. So uh, I don't think it's gonna be as crazy as as this year, but it's still going to have rippling effects for a few more years, no doubt. Yeah. Speaking of which uh, Jalen Forms is one of those guys who got the extra COVID years 
Um, so he's going to be back in a UNCW uniform, which is pretty wild to imagine. He's a CAA champion that had a chance to come back. And um, he's, uh, interestingly enough, he's kind of the old guy, the mature guy that uh, knows everything about where things are supposed to be in this offense. And um, just how big of a deal do you think it is to have Jalen Forns and a, and a guy who has done it here come back into the program? I mean, he was here. There was another coach. For, he played two years here, right? And then there was another yeah, coach he was for there three for two years. years. <laughs> and now he's coming back to the next coach's second year. Like, I mean, it's really hard to, to think about, you know, how, how long his career has lasted. But good for him. And uh, no, I think it's huge. Anytime you can get older guys that have that have been through it. Um, I, I can't imagine there's very much in college basketball experience that Jalen Florence hasn't lived through. In one way or another, I mean, he has seen it all. He's been on bad teams. He's been on great teams. And, uh, you know, he's had coaching changes. He's he, he's really been through the ringer. He's played against different teams, different styles. And uh, I think based on all of Siddle's comments, uh, what you had on the blog earlier, he, he knows his role. You know, I don't think he's coming in here to play 30 minutes a game and, and carry the carry the mail every night. But I think he he came here understanding what his role was going to be and uh, was willing to, to, you know, take that opportunity. And uh, again, I think he'll be another guy that the players will will look up to a little bit and can kind of lead some of the young guys along, which is what you ultimately have to have at the mid-major level um, to, to have a successful program. You have to have some form of leadership chain that's passed along uh, through from generation to generation, if you will. And we talked about the, the four that came back from last year. You know, obviously they've got the real game time experience with Takeo just last year, but obviously Jalen has some of that experience several years ago. Uh, so he's kind of like, you know, the core four and a half, if you will, uh, that has that experience with the coach and can <laughs> hopefully you know, share that, wealth of knowledge with the, you know, the incoming players. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just personally as a fan, I'm, I'm excited to see him come back after the way things went, you know, with him last time, because he got his career off to a great start and it was pretty clear, you know, that, that guy is going to be a big time scorer for this program and then uh, fell out of favor during the McGrath era and, kind of banished out to the, to a program far, far away. And now he gets to come home and potentially ride off into the sunset with a happy ending in Wilmington. So that's really cool to see. And, um, you know, there, there's not a lot of times that you get to see someone fully grow up like that. And it, it's really neat. Um, Cause you know, when I was talking with him, it was just, we were talking about, you know, what brought him back and the things that he's interested in now. And, he was talking a lot about, you know, I want, I want to get ready for my career and I want to learn things about, um, you know, preparing to invest money and, and do things like that. I think he's working on getting a, a t-shirt brand started and he's talked, he talked a lot about his faith and how important that was. So it seems that he is truly, truly bought into that role, like you were saying, of, of being the leader on this team. So that's very cool. Yeah, I think, um, you know, and older guys, uh, you know, I've been a part of the media and I've been as guilty of this as anyone 
of hyping the the new freshmen coming in every year, whether it's the one and dones at the highest level or just any, oh, this guy, you know, he's got this many stars or he can do this and he's going to make an impact or, or they, he picked this school over that school. But really every year with a couple of exceptions, if you look at the end of the season in every conference and, and ultimate end of the season in the final four, it's older guys. It's veteran guys who've been through it mm-hmm. because there's just a level of understanding by the time you get later on in your, in your careers. This is it. But and you and you grasp the value of the little things, whether it's diving for a loose ball or taking a charge or getting that key rebound with three minutes left or not taking a silly shot, you know, and working around and getting a better shot or whatever it may be. And those things are just learned through through time. I don't. Um, you know, every every coach at this level wants some veteran guys in the backcourt. And, you know, Forns is just another one of those guys that uh, you're going to trust on the court late in a, a close game. And I don't know, so, you know what ultimately his, his future may hold after this season, but, you know, these are the kind of guys that, you know, generally you see end up going into coaching just because of the experience they have. And, you know, he is almost kind of like a player coach at this point with all his experience when he is on the court. So, again, I don't know what his future holds, whether it's, uh, you know, stocks and bonds or uh, perhaps he does just can't use that love of the game and, and finds his way, um, you know, teaching the sport he loves. So, uh, you know, we, we've covered a lot of the roster at this point. Um who of the guys that we have not talked about, who are you most excited to get a look at and, and see just what they can be this season? I think Kelly uh, is intriguing. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he's the tallest person on the roster and uh, he's played in the A-10 uh, for some pretty good Duquesne teams that, that were building in the right direction. And, uh, Certainly that's a, that's a very competitive basketball league and he's had some productive moments at that level. Uh, certainly had some injury problems that, that kept him off the floor. And, um, you know, is he healthy? What, what can he do with, you know, now that he's in a program at, at, a, at a, you know, a level that's maybe a half a notch lower that uh, where, where he could be even more effective consistently. Um, and what's his role end up being? I mean, I, I think, Part of me feels like Siddle would be just fine playing four guards around Baker, you know, at crunch time or when it really matters. But there's going to be nights when that's maybe not feasible or there's going to be foul trouble or, you know, just all the things that pop up during the course of a season. So if Kelly can be a guy that's, that's reliable, um, you know, maybe not in every situation in every matchup, but when, when called upon uh, against the Dylan Painters of the world at Delaware or, you know, some of the other big guys in the league and, if he can, if he can just defend and rebound and make some make some baskets around the rim, I think that would be uh, that would be a huge asset for this team. I'll jump in. I guess uh, you know a couple of uh, most recently community college guys, in uh, Trezarian White and uh, Kadeem Sam. You know, are are some guys that also bring a little bit of height to the program and. Uh, uh, It'll be interesting to see again where they kind of fit into the mix as well. Yeah, Trezarian is a uh, he's a big guy. Um, he's 
uh, very athletic and, and he's long. And, you know, looking back at the numbers he was putting up last year at Cullen College, the, there were a couple times he was going like double-double with big rebounding numbers. So, um, you know, I think he's certainly a guy to watch that, that's going to make a difference on this team. And um, like Mole, you, you were saying with uh, Amari Kelly, you know, I hadn't really given him a lot of thought this because, you know, you look at his stats and you see some things like, okay, he can he can score it a little bit. He's done some rebounding at times uh, at Duquesne, so that's cool. And then, um, you know, yesterday during the coaches show, uh, Takeo Siddle says that he's the player who has surprised him the most, and he thinks he can step outside and put it on the floor, and he can shoot it a little bit on the outside, and and you pair that with a big body and. Um, yeah, I, I am very curious to see how he slots in there in that uh, four and five role, maybe sometimes with James Baker if if UNCW decides to go big and play two guys over like six six for the first time. <laughs> um, but no, I, I'm very curious to see exactly how those two uh, work off of each other. And I, I think that, um, you know, just as much as we talked about Baker being the key to this team if kelly can be a really really solid player that that really takes things up a notch and raises the ceiling for this team yeah i mean a few years ago i was struggling with my preseason predictions for blue ribbon and uh some insight i received from northeastern coach bill cullen kind of led me down a different path and i've had more success lately so i started flipping it and doing backward doing it backward in, in ranking the players and trying to figure out who had the most good players and then, you know, if you have factored the coaching in a little bit, but, but ultimately at the end of the year, uh, the best team will have three, maybe four guys on the three all-conference teams, you know, and then it kind of trickles down from there. Some teams won't have any. Uh, they're usually the teams that finish at the bottom of the standings. So, uh, you know, looking at this team, I think Akaro is an, an obvious selection as an all-conference guy. He's proven that he can be that. And then, you know, I think – there's a host of other perimeter players who could be in the mix there. Sims, Phillips, uh, one of those guys could certainly emerge, but I think you're going to also need, you know, it'd be great for UNCW if one, if Baker or, and or Kelly, you know, uh, depending on their role could uh, possibly, you know, be on the cusp of, of, of that at the very least, or at least a contention for that. I think that would be a good sign. Yeah. Bill, Bill Cohen's a pretty wise guy. Um, you know, I, I, kind of see why he's won so many basketball games by keeping it simple with that. Um, I think I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to start using that little trick too. Um, you know, with regard to how those projections are put together, UNCW uh, near the bottom of the rankings for the conference and uh, Mike Okaru and Jalen Sims, both preseason and all conf all CAA honorable mention. Um, how accurate do you think that that's going to be ultimately at the end of the season? I don't think anybody really knows. I mean, I, everybody I talked to that had to do this as far as pick the league, so it was the most difficult year ever. And it certainly was um, on my my end. And normally the coaches can give me a little bit of insight and that helps during my conversations with them. But this year they weren't very helpful at all. They were asking me. And uh, I think – it, there's just a lot of questions. I mean, I think you could make a case that every CAA team feels like right now on November 2nd that they upgraded their roster from a year ago. Uh, certainly Northeastern lost a great point guard to Michigan State, but when, you know, they also brought in four guys that are proven scorers at the Division One level. So that may offset that in some way. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of new faces. There's a couple of new coaches at two of the marquee programs in the league in Charleston and Hofstra. Uh, one of those is a proven winner at the division one level and Pat Kelsey, who's taken over at Charleston. The other speedy Claxton has never called a timeout to my knowledge. Uh, you know, he's been an assistant. So that's always a big adjustment. We've seen that work both ways, uh, even right here at UNCW. And, um, you know, Delaware has a lot of guys back. Uh, they are kind of at that point in Martin Inglesby's career there where they have to they have to prove it. You know, the, the, the target's never really been on their back, but it certainly is now. So, uh, I mean, on and on. You could go through the league. We haven't even talked about the team that won the conference tournament last year that has two all-league guys and potentially the player of the year returning So in Drexel. So I, I think there's, there's going to be a fair amount of parity. I do think the league as a whole – is as strong as it's been since 2017. Uh, the Ken Palm preseason rankings confirm that, but I just think on paper, uh, you, you've got a lot of quality teams and, and, and uh, a lot of talent. Yeah, looking at you know the first six teams at the top of that predicted order of finish, they all at least got one first place vote. So when the general consensus sixth place team, someone thinks you know, they can win the league, you know, that at least to some extent, this league is kind of wide open. Now, at the same time, that might be a little bit daunting for some of the schools towards the bottom, you know, dealing with what you just said there, Mo, uh, where the top of this league can be pretty competitive with some of the other mid-major conferences uh, across the country. So uh, definitely in, an intriguing season shaping up for the Colonial. Yeah. And, and I think that just makes UNCW's non-conference that much more important. I think uh, gaining some momentum, whatever that looks like as far as their non-conference record, but but just building some momentum, much like they were doing last year, heading into those first conference games is important because I don't know that the league is going to be a place where you're going to be able to find yourself. I think that uh, if you haven't kind of create an identity and developed a, a confidence and define roles and, and uh, been, been successful in some close games and things of that nature before you get to January, I think it's going to be a very challenging league to, to kind of emerge because uh, you know, we're going to see some teams that are probably rolling by then. Uh, one cool thing is two of the last five national champions are playing in CAA arenas this year. Uh, Virginia is traveling to James Madison and UNC is traveling to Charleston. So um, that's kind of cool for a mid-major league. Yeah, it's it's super cool. And, and UNC was down in Trask a couple of years ago. And, um, yeah, I love to see that. Um, I think it's awesome when teams and, – and Carolina's been one that's done that several times now. They've gone to Wofford, Charleston, Northern Iowa. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that continues. Um, but looking, you know, at this season's predictions and – now that I am not a full-time member of the media anymore, I, I look at all this stuff and I'm like, what's the point? Like, we don't know anything about any of these teams anymore. A thousand Division One players uh, went into the portal last year. No one has any idea what the, any of this is going to look like. But, you know, based on what these teams do have coming back in the CAA, I am confident that the league is going to be a lot more enjoyable um, to watch this year, a lot more competitive. Um Delaware, certainly they've got all kinds of talent. Uh, it's going to be really fun to see Northeastern uh, come down to Wilmington with Joe Pridgen on the roster. Hmm. Um, Hofstra all, is always Hofstra. Um, uh, Elon's getting better um, with Mike Schragi and 
you know, Charleston is going to be, um, you know, really tough to beat here shortly because Pat Kelsey, I, I think, is destined for an ACC job if he wants it or, uh, you know, any other conference that, that he wants. So um, with all that said, though, I, I do not think that UNCW will finish down in the basement. I, I think they could go anywhere from, um, you know, I, I think they could be a top five team this year. I think they could be a top four team if things go well. And um, looking at the schedule that well, what, what games are you most excited to see them play or most interested to see them play in the non-conference schedule? Um, well, starting with the first one, uh, there the Redbird Arena. Um, I've been there. Uh, Benny Moss's <laughs> second team went there on a, on a trip. Uh, it's a pretty historic place. Uh, they were, you know, Doug Collins played there back in the day when he was like the first pick in the draft. And um, they've certainly had some good teams. They haven't been as super successful of late, but that's a, you know, it's a road game at a Missouri Valley conference opponent. Uh, there's going to be a certain level of physicality and uh, th- that would be a, a bit of a barometer Um you know, early to see how this team is, is ready to compete. I think the tournament out, out West uh, will, will be another good indicator. I think anytime you can play kind of like teams, comparable teams on a neutral court, I think you learn a lot about yourself, probably see three different styles of play in three days and, and which prepares you not only for your conference, but the conference tournament. And uh, you know, a, a very good Norfolk state program coming in here, uh, you know, for a rematch of the game last year. Uh, you know, that's another, that's another game. And uh, I know there's one that's got your eye. Uh, we might be even see you in some formal wear, Brant, uh, when, when there's a certain <laughs> game in Trask Coliseum uh, in, uh, in November. Yeah. I, I got to put on a tuxedo for my good friend, Benny Moss, who uh, coming back to, uh, to Trask as an assistant with Coastal, now, I, uh, Benny was uh, the coach for half of my time in college. Um, hell of a nice guy. Really, really enjoyed covering him and talking to him. Hate that things did not work out a little better for him at UNCW because um, top-notch guy. So, um, yeah, that's that That will be a good one. Um, they're always, you know, a solid program and, you know, a little difficulty adjusting in the Sun Belt now that they moved over. But um, I have no doubt Cliff Ellis, uh, Cliff Ellis can figure it out. He's won a lot of basketball games. So, um, Cliff always has the, something the thing up I'm, sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> yes, always. I mean, the man wanted Auburn. So, although I guess that's a little, it's been proven that that can be done. But he wanted Auburn uh, back in the day when that was just unheard of. Yeah. Um, I love I love the regional aspect of some of these games. You talked about coastal, and there's more to it than just the proximity of that school, but. You know, I'm, I'm glad they're a team that's on the schedule. You know, Campbell's been there time and time again, high points on the schedule this year. Even teams like Norfolk State and Jacksonville, there's at least a little bit of regional aspect to something like that, as opposed to just a random, uh, you know, say Delaware State game, for example. But um, I know it's tough to put a schedule together uh, with the school, the team still rebuilding. You know, maybe it's not such a bad thing. There's the Guilfords and the Mount Olives on the schedule this year, uh, but definitely in the future, you know, you definitely want to see some of those, you know, really power five games, you know, you'll love to have them in Trask as much as you can. I don't know how realistic that is, but, you know, even this year going to like a Pittsburgh, 
is uh, is something that's a good experience for those players just to get in some of those bigger ACC type atmospheres. Yeah, the art of scheduling. I think if you ask most coach, if you polled a hundred coaches, ninety nine of them would say it's the most frustrating thing they deal with all year long. Just because uh, if you know if you're at this level and you get to be pretty good, nobody wants to play you, and then, you know nobody wants to come to your place and play you regardless. And uh, it, it's difficult. Um, I, I would like to see more emphasis on the regional games because I think they they move the needle with fans um, for sure. And uh, you know, allow for some road trips and things of that nature. I think it's a it's a type of schedule though for this team when uh, you know we're a few years away from a winning program here in Wilmington that that allows them to potentially build some confidence and uh, by winning some games and, and and ultimately that's what excites fans. Uh, fans don't really get into the metrics and the RPIs and things, you know, Ken Palms and they, they want to see winning a winning team and, and, and winning games. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, there, there's certainly opportunities to, to build some momentum heading into the CAA. Yeah. Like you uh, very curious to see how they come out at Illinois state. That's a winnable game. Illinois state was projected last in the Valley which uh, we were just talking about how much preseason rankings don't matter, but Hey, uh, you got to look at that as a winnable game. And, and the big one is that three game trip to Montana, which I think is huge for um, a a team that's coming together. All these new guys coming together, they're going to spend a lot of time together on the road and in the hotel and getting to know one another even more so than they already do. So, um, you know, I think uh, last time UNCW had a team go out West and play in a tournament and worked out pretty well for them that year. Um, when those guys went up to Wyoming and, and won a tournament and went to the NCAA tournament that year. So, you know, uh, obviously it's going to work out just the same. Um, uh, <laughs> Thursday night, as you look ahead to an exhibition game against a team, you know, it's an overmatch. But what do you want to see out of UNCW? What do you think is is the goal of that game? What's the most interesting storyline for that one? Yeah, these exhibition games, uh, I think – I think Takeo did it the right way. I know they scrimmaged Hampton, and and uh, so you kind of get to play a like opponent once, and, and, and you know, the coaches can kind of control the scrimmage. Hey, play five minutes of zone, and, you know, things of that nature, which is good. You, maybe if, if you travel, you, you get get that out of the way. You, you go on a road trip as a team, and then I think the exhibition game also gives you some of the same things. You're putting the uniforms on. There's fans in the stands. You know, you're going through just like you would for a regular game and maybe get some of those nerves out for, for the first-time guys. Uh, you know, and then I think it's all about UNCW, uh, just uh, execution. I, I think they'll play hard. I think they played hard last year, uh, considering the circumstances, and, you know, until fatigue sometimes uh, prohibited them from playing as hard as they would have liked to. But uh, I, I think, you know, from Siddle's perspective, he, he's probably got 10 guys that he wants to get a fairly good look at and, and see how they do when the lights are on. Um, you know, it's kind of like a golfer hitting balls on the driving range and then having to go to the first tee sometimes. Like, you know, some people do better and some people do worse. And you kind of want to see how they're going to respond, uh, some of the some of the younger guys in particular. And, uh, you know, I think uh, the defensive intensity, uh, if, if I were, uh, you know, watching the game as a fan, I would want to see some real uh, tenacity on the defensive end that, that maybe was missing at times last year. Yeah, I, I have no clue, you know, exactly what Takeo's 
you know, game plan is for the lone exhibition game here on Thursday. But, you know, I think you're going to see the game start off with what would probably be his starting lineup, you know, the next Tuesday at Illinois State. Uh, but then, of course, as the game goes on, you know, you probably are going to see some of those depth guys that maybe aren't going to get that many minutes uh, at the Illinois States, um, but, you know, get their time in now and, and kind of get their feet wet a little bit. Yeah, didn't get much in the way of detail from the uh, scrimmage up at Hampton, but do know that the coaches were very impressed with the effort and the fight that they got out of the guys, which, um, yeah, I, I think that's kind of the first step. If you if you play hard, uh, everything else kind of falls into place afterwards. So that's, that's what I'm looking for on Thursday. I'm looking for a full-on effort for 40 minutes where – you know, UNCW is probably going to get a big lead. And after they get that lead, are they going to continue to do the things that it takes to win basketball games at this level? And I'm curious to see uh, the different lineups and uh, who's running point guard for what amounts of time and how they kind of play Omari Kelly and James Baker Jr. together. And, um, you know, just give us a little bit more stuff to talk about for the next couple of days before it's for real up at Illinois State on Tuesday. Yeah, I think just like from a basketball perspective, I'm very intrigued in Shaquem Phillips' like development offensively. Like I know that he can handle the ball and uh, he's a good passer. And I know he's potentially one of the better defenders in the CAA. Just uh, he can frustrate the other team's point guard. But has he expanded his offensive arsenal any? Is he comfortable, more comfortable taking shots? And our team's going to have to respect that he will take an open and make an open jump shot. Um, is it, you know, is he, is he, uh, he sounds like he's extremely healthy and recovered from, from everything that was bothering him last year. So I would imagine he'll be very aggressive on the offensive end. And I, I just think he, he has a ton of potential, you know, he really, um, with the ball in his hands, he has, he has a lot of potential and, and, and can have a lot of impact on this team. Yes, I am. I am very happy that, um, he has decided to stick around. I, I think that he probably, I would imagine he had some opportunities to go a level higher um, this spring. So I'm, I'm curious to see him and um, just to see how this works out. All right. Um, so, you know, as we wrap this up, uh, one big prediction, what do you got? Could be anything from standings to scoring to all conference to, I don't know, uh, who hits a game winner this year. What do you got? Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll go with, let's get specific here. I'll go with, I'm going to say Okaru ends up on the first team CAA at the end of the season. I think that's, uh, I like that. Uh, I think uh, UNCW will be at least two of the top CAA teams at home. Very good. Um, I think that UNCW will be playing its best basketball in the last two weeks of the season and go into the tournament scaring the hell out of someone. Um, I don't know if I don't know if that means they're going to win the tournament, but I know that they're going to be a threat to win the tournament. So what you guys are saying is there's going to be some exciting basketball at Trask Coliseum. Go get your season tickets today at uncwsports.com. <laughs> I think we've all missed exciting basketball. I mean, uh, 
I think we were all grateful just to have any basketball that we got last season, but um, you know, it's, it, we re- I think we realized it's just not the same without, uh, without folks in the stands and lots of them making noise and impacting the game and making the opponent nervous and all of the things that happen, uh, the atmosphere. So I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm stoked about that. And we all know what an electric place Trask can be when, uh, when the Seahawks are playing well and it's rocking. Yeah. I mean, it, it was depressing to watch, you know, college basketball last year, whether you're watching Duke or UNCW or whatever, it was just, it didn't feel right. So I can't even imagine what it was like for those guys who had to go into an arena and, and play those games and, try to get to the level of intensity that they needed to win a game. And it's just empty and quiet. It, it's, it's unbelievable that, that those guys were even able to do that. Yeah. It felt like, uh, you know, pick up or uh, rec league or whatever you want to call it at times. Uh, just, um, it, you, it's a, you know, it's a big a part of the appeal of college basketball and it's an essential element. So I'm glad that glad that it's going to be back across the country. All right. Well, that is uh, all the time we have for this evening. Uh, thank you for joining us. Brian Mall, uh, you can be found uh, all over the internet. Where Where are you working and writing these days? Uh, I'm on Twitter at BG Mall, doing most of my college basketball writing for collegeinsider.com, which uh, specializes, focuses on mid-majors and looking forward to that. Uh, probably going to be doing as much actual writing about college basketball as I've done in a few seasons this year. So uh, looking forward to it. Michael, where can we find you? Uh, did you move your season ticket location this year? Uh, well, one seat to the left. Yes. So a slightly better view of the court instead of directly behind the basket. Uh, I also can be found all over the internet, but please do not Google my name. Uh, <laughs> Most, uh, yeah, mostly on Twitter, I would say the old at BS Zeus BS and um, excited to be able to post, you know, pictures of Trask and uh, UNCW related stuff because during the, the off season, I think it's a lot of retweets for me. So hopefully some <laughs> original content upcoming now that I'll actually be in attendance at some of these games. So, yeah, well, you've been killing the content from uh, the hockey games uh, lately. We, we got some good video of the game winner the other night. So uh, looking forward to uh, being all over this this season. It's going to be a lot of fun to write about and video and podcast about and uh, have uh, a, hopefully a winning team to talk about again. But uh, we're going to be writing about it and, and working on regardless of what happens. So um, looking forward to seeing everybody out at Trask this year.